Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Or can you not? You don't listen, do you? I don't think you ever really hear me. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It stuck with me. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is... And welcome. Ooh, that's kind of hot. Welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. Hey, crew, how's it going today? It is going well in my world. So um, let's try to get this audio level just a little bit better. Hopefully, it's going okay for you out there. It is late January. And I'm sitting here at the cabin in my squeaky office chair. If you ever hear that creaking in the background, I've mentioned it before, but we've got new folks here. There's a squeakiness that I know is permeating some of these podcasts, and that is this antique wooden office chair that I have. And I have been sitting in this chair for a long, long time. Um, not like today, but like in general, I had it, it was, um, it was one of these old chairs that was one of my old jobs. Um, it has just sort of been left behind in my, in my office when I moved in. And then over the course of the time that I was there, like we moved to a new building, um, and they were just kind of moving in. It was kind of like out with the old and with the new, and they were getting all new. And 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 I, and I knew that this particular chair was just destined for a dumpster, and I couldn't bear to let it go. And so it's all there's no cushions on it. It's just wood. Uh, it's really pretty though. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just a. It's an antique. It's got you know armrests. They're kind of scrolled on the end of it. I particularly find it pretty comfortable because, you know, it'll, it'll lean back, it'll roll around, but it is awfully squeaky at times. 
not you care, but now that you know what all that noise is in the background. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, this particular episode is for my social media class, which that's actually the only class I'm recording for this semester. And anything else I do is just going to be on out on its own. But I'm going to try to knock these out first. Um, because... Um, I'm going to be moving to the boat this weekend, so I think next week we'll probably be recording from the boat, so you won't hear a squeaky chair, you'll hear a squeaky boat, which would be kind of cool. It would be, uh, you know, something I've wanted to do for a while, is actually do the Pirate Professor podcast from the pirate ship, so we'll try that. You, know, you have seagulls and the sound of people drag racing in the background. I'll explain that part later. All right, so uh, where are we are in the world today? Uh, so uh, the Biden pres- presidency rolls on. COVID relief is going on, I guess, or COVID re- the vaccination efforts are underway now. Still pretty hard to get a vaccine in a lot of places. Um, Arkansas is pretty difficult. You have to be over a certain age at this stage or have a certain profession. A Teachers are eligible to get it. So I'm actually, as an educator, I'm eligible to get it now. But it's still one of those, you just sort of have to get on a list and wait. Which isn't necessarily ideal. Um, but I hope... I hope that that part's going to get better soon. I think we could all use just a big old stinking break right now. Um, okay. The world doesn't seem quite as heavy as it did a couple of weeks ago. And that's a good feeling because, uh, you know, there's, a, there's only so much of that you can take. I probably, like the, a lot of you, have kind of just sort of... Um, Taking a step back, taking a deep breath. Try to go on and like do, you know, do your life. Like, you know, there's only, there's so much you can do. Uh, we People tend to get sucked into the world of politics. And in reality, especially if we're talking about national politics, there's not much that you could do. Like, there, you don't have much to offer beyond a vote in that world. I mean, you can call your um, members of Congress or, you know, your elected officials or, you know, you've got more um, sway locally. So you have much more of a uh, ability to affect change on a local level. And I think people forget that. Like, you know, a lot of times they can, they can name off their senators, but not their, you know, city council members. So keep that in mind. Um, what else? Um, what we're going to talk about today, as far as social media, is identifying your audience. Uh, one of the things that I've talked about, and I think I talked about it last time, is, you know, the golden rule of communication is know thy audience. And the second rule, which is my rule, is that you you reach people where they are not where you want them to be. And that's where a lot of marketers and uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's where just a lot of people mess up in their messaging because we often, we try to communicate with other people, um, looking 
at the world as we see it. And I mean, that's part of why we're communicating, but we, we communicate it as if we're trying to talk to ourselves as opposed to trying to talk to the person um, that we're really trying to connect with. You know, and they may just be in a completely different level. And so one of the things that seems to be really problematic now is we've, we even take that to a, a different level, especially in the world of, um, let's just call it journalism, uh, in the way people consume it these days. And a lot of it's not necessarily germ- journalism. It's, it's um, well, part of it is. Part of, a bunch, much of it is commentary on journalism. Uh, but one of the other things about journalism is you're always actually, um, you're editorializing by what you choose to talk about or not choose to talk about. And by that I mean, as a journalist or a writer or, or a photographer, what you focus on is what you're deeming important. Um, so when I, when I talk about photography in class, like the moment a photographer points their camera at something, that means they're not pointing it at something else. And so they are, um, they're helping to tell their audience or trying to tell their audience what they believe is important. And truthfully, as professional journalists, that's exactly kind of the core of our job. Uh, and this is part of the reason that we go to schools to, ter- you know, sometimes you, people ask you what you do as a journalist. And part of that is, or, or I got to ask this week, like, what do I do as a journalism professor? And I said, part of what I do is try to teach people what is news and what is not news. Um, and sometimes that's pretty hard just because it's entertaining, just because it's controversial, controversial, just because it gets a lot of likes on Twitter or shares just because it's engaging doesn't necessarily make it news or newsworthy. Uh, it's not necessarily the most important thing uh, to talk about. One of the I was listening to a podcast earlier today. Uh, actually, a couple of them over the past week that kind of centered around the same thing is like, you know, what's going to be the new American narrative? Uh, because the one that we have right now isn't working. Uh, and most of what the narrative that we have now is why we're right, but more specifically why whoever it is on the other side of the aisle is wrong. And that's not a narrative you can really build on. It's not that I have new ideas. It's that I just want to tell you that their ideas suck. Um, and that's not necessarily helpful. You can't, you can't do anything with that. There's no policies that you can create building on that. There's no motivation that you can create on that. Really all that you can create with that is animosity. And animosity turns into chaos or, you know, it turns into anger and anger turns into fear and, or fear turns into anger and anger turns into chaos. And that's the world where you see Portland burning and that's the world in which you see you know, the U.S. Capitol getting stormed, and that's where you see things going badly. So the question then, what is the American narrative? Like, where where are the points? What is our story? 
Um, stories exist in basic form. And, and one of the basic reasons we tell stories is it's we're, because we're wired for it, is that we're always asking one central question. And that question is, how should I live my life? It doesn't really matter where, where you're going for stories. We're looking for different archetypes. We're looking for different paths to follow. We're, we're looking for things to emulate. We're looking for direction on this is a good thing. This is a bad thing. This is where you can find out what a culture you know respects, what they don't respect, what they despise, what they fear. There's all of these things in it. You can always find these things based on the stories that come out of that culture. And so... Uh, at least in the American narrative right now, there's, uh, you know, there is the, um, let's see, what kind of archetypes can we have? We, we've got the warrior archetype, and that I think that one is, we see that one illustrated and venerated in all kinds of ways from um, sort of lone warrior, lone wolf, you know, this one person stands up against corruption or whatever it happens to be, and we respect that. You know, but there's other narratives. There's the the narrative of the you know the teacher, the philosopher, the one who the you know the one who tries to raise someone up out of um, to make them better. They teach them something. They give them a skill. They teach them how to cope. Um, you've got you've got a, a matriarchy um, archetype. You know, you have the mother, the nurturing, also educating, all of these different things, protecting. These are all kinds of different stories. And I have some crackling coming through my microphone. I have no idea why. Um, and so one of the things that maybe it's time for us to do is really sort of sit back and like, what is the collective story that we want to tell? Um, stories tend to happen in the world of extremes. Like nobody really cares about stories where nothing happens. Like you've got this, you've got levels. Like you've got, first thing you've got to do is have, you've got to have a main character. This is your protagonist. Um, and if you're, if you're interested about this, there's this book called Story uh, by a guy, a guy named Robert McKee. Hang on, I'm turning around because I think it's right behind me. Um, Yep, there it is. It's a book called Story. Okay, so I just bumped the uh, stop button, so I'm, I'm starting over. It's a book called Story. Um, when we talk about characters, I'm talking about our protagonist for, for, to start out with. The, the first thing you need to know is, is nobody really wants a perfect character. Um, you've got to have a character that people can relate to. Like at, at times there's, you know, I sort of feel like, like I've never really liked the Superman story that well. Um, and I think it's because like he's too good. Like his, he's just got his 
act together, sort of. Um, you know, he's a little confused little kid at times, but he's just got way too much power, and he's way too good of a guy. I have a hard time relating to that. You know, but then you can get into the other characters. They're flawed, you know, but they mean well. That's somebody I can relate to a little bit better. And, um, and so then that character, that character finds that they want something. Um, it's gotta be something big though. It's gotta be something worth risking things for. It's, it's gotta be like, they want, they want something more than Starbucks, right? They, they want, you know, the, the, a movie's not ever going to be about a guy who drives a minivan who drives through Starbucks, orders, gets his coffee, and goes, and everything's happy, and then he goes to work that he loves. And he goes home at the end of the day, and nothing ever changes. That's kind of a dull story, and that's not a story that we really get into as a culture. We want something a little bigger. Um, We... uh, your character needs some things. Now, I said they can be they can be complicated characters. This is why, if you happen to watch uh, on Netflix, Cobra Kai. Uh, so I, I grew up in the Karate Kid generation. I am one of many, many, many people who jumped into martial arts as a kid because we saw Karate Kid. Um. But now you've got Cobra Kai where um, they're all middle-aged dudes and they got baggage. Johnny is a complicated character. He's got issues, but he means well. And so like, this is what I'm talking about. This is a character that we can, we can kind of relate to. They don't necessarily have their crap together, but they're trying. Um, but the one thing they can't do, this is the distinguishing thing between a hero and a villain. And it applies in real life as, as it does in story. A hero and a villain can do a lot of the same things. Their actions can be very, very similar. It's their motivation that changes it. The moment that a hero starts thinking that they're better than everyone else, that's the moment they become the villain in the story. And now if we get back to politics, if you notice, this is one of the things that is a common theme. Um, very often you see one side or the other, they're yelling at each other. Um, mostly they're yelling at each other over more about arrogance than anything. And sometimes it's not even like, you'll see one side say, well, this side did this and da, 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 da. And, and that may be true and it may not be true. What you typically find though, is someone will watch, you know, whatever their show of choice is. And they'll see something on the news and then the commentator will come in and say, this is why they did that. And that why is most likely something kind of sinister. It's, you know, there's corruption involved. There's self-serving involved. There's all these other things involved. What they're doing is, is signaling to you or the audience that that side thinks they're better than you. They think they're above you. And that's and those are the immediate things that we consider to be the, the actions of a villain. You know, but then you flip around the narrative depending on the other side and now it's the opposite. You know? 
they could say the same thing, but these things were done with good intentions and wholesome, you know, whatever. And so it gets complicated. Um, the other thing is once you have your, your, um, your character, they're flawed, but they mean well. They have to want something, and they've got to want something significant. And then, you know, it's got to be it's got to be big, whatever it is. You know, think of whatever the biggest thing is that you could possibly want in your life, and that's the thing you go for. You know, whether it's love, whether it's whatever. You know, to save the planet, whatever the thing is, you've got a job to do. And then the character, and this is what we would call in story, is it's typically you, you start out a story where you're identifying whatever normal is. And so you're setting the scene and you're identifying the character and what their normal life is. And then something happens, which causes that character to have to make a decision. And this is what we'd call an inciting incident. And this is where that character makes a choice of the thing that they want and that whether or not they're going to go for it. And because it's a movie, they're going to go for it. Because, you know, if they decide, oh, there's villain, you know, whatever, supervillain has taken over and they're going to destroy the planet, the hero has a choice. He can go try to stop him, or he can just go to the beach. Ah, uh, you know, it's been a good life. I've had a good run. We'll just, you know, watch watch everything go down from here see that's not the story we want we want it where he's going after or she's going after the villain and the moment they decide that they're going after whatever that thing is that's the moment things start pushing back this is the moment we run into conflict and conflict serves a really important purpose in storytelling conflict defines the value of a thing conflict tells the audience how much this thing is worth to the lead character you know what are they willing to go through to get that thing and it's got to be a lot and if it is a lot then it you know then again you're establishing the value um and then there's going to be ups and downs. You've got negative turns. You've got, you know, positive. You're making progress. You're, you're moving toward the climax of the story. Eventually you get there. And then ultimately you've got to have some level of resolution in the end. In theory. I'm, I'm, I'm glossing over a lot here. But you get, the, you, it's an overarching, it's called a narrative arc. It goes up. It comes back down. And you've got that some kind of resolution. And I think one of the things that we have going on right now is we don't, we're not trying to tell a good story. Like, I don't, there's a few kind of scattered out there in the middle that are, or I'm not saying political middle, just kind of out in the, they're trying to tell a story. But they, they mostly, we spend too much time talking about how the other side's story sucks rather than trying to tell a good one of our own. And I don't know. That thing seems, that seems like it's important. It seems relevant. I want to read um, one of the things that Robert McKee writes in his part of his, in his introduction of, um, story. It sounds, 
it almost sounds like you're sitting in church when he's talking about this, but he's he's not. Um, he's talking about the decline of story. Like, um, if I'm in a movie, here's how I tell if I've seen a good movie. I watch a movie one day, and if I don't, if that movie doesn't cross my mind at all the next day, then it probably wasn't a good movie. Like, if I'm not even, if like I forget that I even went to see it or watched it, like something about it doesn't click in my brain, probably wasn't that good of a story. But if there's something about it that causes me to think about it, then it's a higher probability that it was a good story. Um, and one of the bad things about modern films is there's so much effort put into a lot of special effects. There's more, there's more spectacle than story. So it's bright and shiny, but not much substance. And Robert McKee writes, the final cause for decline of story runs very deep. Values. The positive negative charges of life are the soul of our art. Of our art. The writer shapes story around a perception of what, what's worth living for. What's worth dying for. What's foolish to pursue. The meaning of justice. Truth. The essential values. In decades past, writer and society more or less agreed on these questions. But more and more, ours has become an age of moral and ethical cynicism, relativism, and subjectivism, a great confusion of values. As the family disintegrates and sexual antagonisms rise, who, for example, feels that they understand the nature of love? And how, if you do have a conviction, do you express it to an ever more skeptical audience? This erosion of values has brought with it the corresponding erosion of story. Unlike writers in the past, we can assume nothing. First, we must dig deeply into life to uncover new insights, new refinements of value and meaning, and then create a story that expresses our interpretation to an increasingly agnostic world. No small task. Let me read that part again. Unlike writers in the past, we can assume nothing. First, we must dig deeply into the life we must dig deeply into life to uncover new insights, new refinements of value and meaning, then create a story that expresses our interpretation to an increasingly agnostic world. No small task. Essentially what he's saying there is you got to believe in something. It's, it's not enough. Like cynicism isn't enough. It's not that you just being against something doesn't get you anywhere. You need to be for something. And that something's got to have like real value. Like real value, not bullshit value, real value. And it's our job as storytellers to help excavate that stuff. And that, my friends, is no small task. So, what shall we do? What shall we say? What sure, sure, what stories shall we tell? I don't know, man. But I'm going to listen to some Sam Cooke while I think about it. And then we'll get on to the PowerPoint for chapter two.
There's actually a uh, documentary on Sam Cooke on Netflix right now. Focuses on his um, death and the mysterious circumstances that are around it. Um, Sam Cooke was becoming increasingly more influential. And then he was gone. Anyway, I um, love that song, though. It is, again, we need, we, we need stories that uh, offer something resembling hope. I don't know. Hope seems one of those. Hope actually has a lot of, of deeper meaning. Um, we, we tend to kind of offer it as just sort of platitudes, like it, it's sort of a hollow statement. Um... You know, a little faith, a little hope. Things are going to get better. And then putting some effort behind making them better. There's value there. There is value there. So, social media. Let's talk about it. Chapter 2. Um, 
identifying your audience goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning. So that's how I got off on that whole story thing in the beginning is if you want to tell a good story, then you, you really need to know who you're talking to and what it is that that audience needs. Like, what are they looking for? And, and this applies whether you're, you know, you're selling a product or you're trying to encourage them in some way, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a, a marketer or a preacher or a teacher, you have to know who you're talking to and where they're coming from. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that and we're, you know, specifically we're going to focus more from the marketing standpoint, but the rules apply. So, um, specifically with the social media in order to, to identify the best targets, social media managers have to divide their audience into groups and then evaluate the segments. Now, this is where I talked about last week where things are going to are getting a little out of control. Um, because we've gotten with artificial intelligence and these algorithms that are running, social media companies are getting really, really advanced on being able to target very specific audiences. And sometimes that targeting uh, hits with um, unintended consequences. So this is one of those things you're, you're dealing with technology that's powerful. And so the way you use it matters. So you have to, you know, I, one of the things that I'm going to tell you repeatedly over the course of the semester, it doesn't really matter what your messaging is be responsible with it because um, we've seen what can happen when messages get out of control um, segmentation is the thing that we get is the idea that we you divide this audience into smaller and smaller groups based on predefined characteristics that relate to their in our case consumer behavior but that can that consumer behavior can also branch out into other things. One of the things that they found is there's a lot of correlation between, and I don't have a, I don't have a quick example on the top of my head, but like if you're into thing A, then there's a there's a higher probability that you're going to be into thing W. Uh, and specifically, what what I'm saying is there's like that can be. On the surface, they can be seemingly unrelated, but when you start digging down a little bit, you find out that there turns turns out to be more and more and more connections to it. Um, and so, this is where segmentation comes in, and we start figuring out if people are into a certain thing. And this is where the algorithms figure it out. If you're into these things, then you're probably also into those things. Um, and these are things that you may or may not consciously be aware of right now, or you don't even realize that you are because they're comparing you to other people who have similar characteristics and they're using that information. You know, they're dialing into you constantly They're constantly trying to dial in tighter and tighter and tighter on who you are as a human being. But they're also doing that within the context of you and a larger audience of people who exhibit, um, similar, um, personality traits or online behavior. So, but we get into, that's when you're dealing with a business or marketing firm dealing with a, the general, the general um, population. There's also what we call business to consumer, uh, B2C uh, types of businesses where they're not necessarily dealing with the general public. 
they're dealing specifically with a, another business. Like you can have a company and your business customers are just other businesses. They're not someone coming in off the street. Uh, and so, you know, they've got their own advantages on what they do. Um, so, um, B2B strategies for those. So, you know, you could be doing a social media. You're probably not going to be doing much of a social media campaign just to reach another business unless it's something you may be doing a marketing campaign where you're trying to reach a certain group of people, but you're not necessarily going to be reaching overall audiences. Uh, but things that you'd be looking for is company behavior, decision, the decision-making team within that company, uh, the potential profit, uh, the desired benefits of the product services that you have, the prices you offer and the competitors you're going up against. Again, this is basic marketing stuff. It's not so much social media at this point, but just kind of in the world of marketing. Now, when it comes to social media, marketers have to determine where the consumer see, uh, where the consumers see brand and purchase related information and how they engage with various services and devices. So they, you have to, as a marketer or PR folk, figure out exactly how it is that the audience is engaging with information that's actually going to lead to them doing something. Uh, doing something as in actually making a purchase. And so they need to see kind of where your brand and other brands like yours fit into their overall kind of e ecosystem. Um, and then how you, and, and specifically like how you interact with them, like what strategies with this particular audience work, what strategies don't work. And again, this comes into the research side and figuring out how to talk to them. Uh, so you can set goals. And so for your project, you know, I told you you have to set benchmarks. And so these are the things that you kind of need to think about things like the number of followers you have on your accounts. Uh, how many website clicks are you getting? I'm not talking about just clicks as far as uh, likes on your like on your Twitter or your Facebook. I'm saying if you're doing a social media campaign, how many of those posts are actually pulling people to your actual website and getting them to click? Um, you've got apps, installing and using new apps. You've got claiming offers, so maybe you're throwing coupons out there. Uh, you're some kind of you know, promotional campaigns and, you know, you also got video views and whatnot. Influencers. This is what we talked about last time. This is one of the things a lot of people, especially in the younger demographic want to be, they want to be an influencer because it allows them to get free stuff. Uh, if influencing's work, uh, it, it's one of those, like with everything else, what you see on Instagram or TikTok. Like that's just the tip of the iceberg of what actually has to happen to make that stuff go. Um, you know, even this podcast is, is a bit of a pain um, to put together, but you know, it takes a lot of effort to get everything, pick out, you know, think about what I'm going to say, think about the music's going to go. How do I actually even express this in a way that I think you might actually listen to where you're not just going, Oh my God, this is going to just rattle on and on and on. You know, because, well, you know, I need to keep you engaged somewhat. And now maybe you're not. Maybe you're just going to skip to the end. Please skip to the end. I don't know. 
So you've got opinion leaders, endorsers, and experts. These are the people that other people look to for answers. The reality is, this is a hard truth. Everyone likes to think that they think for themselves. And the truth is most of us don't so much. Um, we think for ourselves about some things in our lives, but we don't necessarily put a ton of thought into everything in our life. And so for those other things, uh, we very often sort of, we look to someone that we respect and see what they're doing. And we judge, and, and because we trust their judgment, we're willing to follow along. You know, and this can be anyone from, you know, somebody on TikTok to a parent to a role model, could be, you know, grandparent, could be anybody. Um, you know, someone that you sort of deem as an expert and trustworthy, or at least, you know, you feel like they've got more common sense than the average, you know, goose. Um, do, 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 do. Other, going back to segmentation different ways for four primary ways that we segment people we've got demographics so where you sort of fit in the overall so like most of you guys would be you know you're college educated within the 18 to 25 year old bracket most of you some of you are going to be outside of that um but that's your demographic um then you've got a geographic demographic so we can start stacking these on top of each other so i'm looking for College educated between 18 and 25 year old who live in Arkansas or Texas or Missouri or Oklahoma, like a, a region, or I could be very specific. I'm looking for college educated people in Russellville, Arkansas, or just, you know, wherever, or, you know, within a specific zip code of Russellville, Arkansas. Um, psychographic. That's where we're getting into um, other stuff. Um, I'm just talking and not actually clicking through the PowerPoint. I'm just making sure I'm covering all this stuff. Um, within the psychographic stuff, you are basing stuff on people's interests, their politics. This is where it starts to get sketchy. Is if I'm interested in these things and these are my opinions, then, you know... Then we can start, then we really start dialing into the psychology. Then it's not necessarily, it's, it's kind of the, the product that we talk about and also the way we talk about the product. Um, there's different things that appeal to, um, different audiences. Uh, case in point, um, psychology in, in the world of psychology, you've got people don't think of this in political terms when I say like um, progressive versus conservative because it's not necessarily that, but it kind of is at the same time. You've got those who are what you would have high openness and those people have or kind of more creative types. Uh, you're more artists, you're musicians, you're liberal arts majors. Um, you're thinkers, you're creating, you're, you're, you're probably better with words than you are numbers, put it that way. Um, and then you've got people with low openness, and that would be what you'd consider more of a conservative mindset in this sense. Um, and that means you typically like things that are more structured. Um, you like, you like boundaries. Um, typically better at something like resembling management and um you know you're you have lines that won't be, can't be crossed um 
what makes those two things work well, they, those, those two traits work really well together because the creative or the high openness tends to be a little bit more innovative, but sometimes have a hard time getting, you know, control of their own lives. And the low openness people tend to be, you know, more structured. And so when those two things work together, they actually are, they're innovative and structured. When they don't work together, well, the innovative people can't get anything accomplished and the overly structured people don't innovate. And so everything just kind of trudges on, you know, and, and both are paths to disaster. Oh, I got sidetracked. But anyway, so we're back on the psychographics. So this is how we, we break people down through these things and like how we talk about it. Oh, that's what I was doing. So if you've got somebody who's like low openness and you've got a product, maybe you really want to like focus on your narrative is like how this thing creates structure in your life. This uh, can create security in your life. Um, it is a reduces risk in your life like that. Those are, those are kind of the messages that would appeal to someone on kind of the more the, the, the low openness um, side of things, you know, the conversations about adventure, the open road, new things, excitement, those are going to appeal to people more on the open end of things. So how we talk about it matters. Um, so the way we think about that is how people respond, like the, what the benefits are, what attributes are important to the consumer. Well, you know, what is it about the product and how we talk about the product? How is that, how does that relate and how is that important to them? Usage, when, where, how do customers use the service or product? Usage rate, how often do they use the product? And loyalty, are they going to stick with a particular brand or this is kind of a group that's going to sort of bounce around and how do I get loyalty? Um, this is one of the things that makes uh, what I would say your particular demographic so valuable to marketers is that 18 to 25 year old bracket. It's because that is when people adopt a lot of brand loyalty. That's when you start deciding like, I'm going to use this kind of toothpaste and I'm going to use this kind of soap and I like this kind of car. Um, you know, because before then, most people are under the, you know, whatever the brand loyalty of their parents are. So you use whatever, you know, soap your mom bought. You know, this is, I use, your mom uses Tide, so that's what you grew up with. But when you get older, you're like, I'm a little broke. I'm going to use the cheaper stuff. And then, you know, or maybe you find something else because you like the box differently. Whatever it happens to be. This is where, you know, marketers find value in your particular demographic because if they can get you to become loyal at this age, then there's a good chance you're going to stick with them for a long time. Um, usage rate, usage rate segmentation refers to dividing the market of consumers into groups based on how much of the product or service they buy. Uh, so are you a high user of this thing or a low user of this thing? So, you know, and it just depends on what you do in some, like I, I've some of the, the, uh, stores that I've done with, you know, business with, you know, they always want your email now. And then the next thing you know, once you buy something, you know, they send you a coupon. Hey, come back, give you 40% off one item. 
limited time. And then, you know, and then you start building up points and they're trying, and what they're doing is they're trying to increase the frequency that you come in their door and actually spend money. And so, and they're trying to reach you on the terms, you know, that you like. Data analytics. This is one of the most important part. This is where the people who are good with numbers love, love analytics. It's not necessarily the most interesting thing for the creative types, but this is when you're looking at things, you know, spreadsheets and bar graphs going, this is working. This is not working. Uh, the practice of mining information on consumer behavior and analyzing the data to provide insights. This is what, this is where the money is. This is why everything is free for you to use is because you and your attention is the product that they're selling. And so they are trying to refine how much of your attention, you know, again, how much of your attention are you providing? And again, again, going back to like the usage rates, how much of your attention can they get to market to you? And then how much of your attention can you get actually walking through their stores? Um, or clicking, you know, going to Amazon and loading up your cart. Uh, behavioral targeting. Marketers determine the consumer's online actions and when the person visits a website online or a mobile device. An ad uh, server then delivers an advertisement that is targeted to the individual's behavior regardless of the type of website the person is using. So this goes back to what your digital, you know, data trail is leaving behind. They, they figure out, and I'm, and I'm telling you that they, they track everything. They literally track everything. They want to know when you're most active online, on your phone, on your computer, whether you're at work, what you're doing, uh, whether it's a social media site, whatever it is. And then they try to focus those ads to your peak times. And it's not just when you're on it, but when you're most likely to do something. So like, you know, when are you most likely to click, you know, purchase? Is it while you're at work and it's supposed to be, you know, is it right after lunch? You know, you're not really interested in going back to, you've worked all morning, you just had lunch, you're not really interested in working right now or getting anything, you're not feeling very motivated, but you can certainly hop online and do a little shopping. Whatever it is, they pay attention to these things and then they try to hit you with messages at the um, opportune moment. And again, this goes back to what I was talking about in the last episode where, you know, the more of your psychological information they get, the better they're going to get at this. So, you know, um, they really, really know. And they're just going to get better. It's just getting better. Uh, contextual targeting occurs when marketers reach consumers with ads on websites, mobile sites, or social media sites because the site is directly related to that product. This is essentially old media, um, like magazine advertising did. You know, you you buy whatever magazine it is. It's, ma magazines are typically sort of thematic. They have a thing. So if you're big into fishing and you've got a fishing magazine about bass fishing, there's going to be ads in there about fishing stuff, right? So you're going to find ads on boats and ads for tackle boxes and ads for whatever else. Because they're like, okay, people who fish are wearing or are, are reading this magazine. So this is, and that's the point of the magazine is to draw that kind of audience together. Uh, same thing happens with websites. You're on a particular type of website, you know, maybe you're in a fishing, you know, again, it's a magazine. Maybe you're in a fishing and you're on a fishing website. You're going to get ads for fishing stuff. 
and you know if you're into underwater yoga you're going to get underwater yoga stuff i don't even know if that's a thing i just made it up geographic targeting uh this is literally just figuring out where in the world you are in the world and serving you ads based on your location so you know if you're maybe there's a chain store um say starbucks i'll just say because I, I used starbucks earlier you know they want to advertise you coffee you know they're you're going to get an ad but it's going to have the address of the local affiliate you know there or um um yeah it's not affiliate but you know what i mean franchise franchise is the word i'm looking for going to point you all you need to do is click here and we'll give you directions and here by the way here's a coupon for one dollar off a latte day part targeting this goes back to kind of like how you behave at certain times of day uh this also gets in radio and like broadcasting used to do this some i guess they still do this assumes that consumers act a certain way at a particular time of day and marketers can reach those people when they consider to be optimal. So case in point, if I own a restaurant and my big time, uh, my, the biggest meal I served in the day when I make the most money is lunch, when should I advertise to you? If you just said lunchtime, you're wrong. Wrong, I say. Why? Because you've already made your decision by that time. Really, if I want to, if I want to start bringing people in to my restaurant by eleven or twelve, I need to start probably running lunch ads somewhere around nine or ten o'clock that morning. You know, it's it's people have had time, and it, and all you're really doing is trying to get the your restaurant in their mind. So when somebody goes, "Hey, where do you want to eat?" they're already thinking of you. Affinity targeting. Uh, this is reaching out to fans of particular TV shows, maybe celebrities. Basically, you're just latching on to what something else that's popular. You know, McDonald's does this all the time with whatever the movie is or fast food. To, you know, it's Marvel movie, whatever. Uh, here's our little action figure, whatever. Kids meal, whatever thing. You're just latching on to things. Super Bowl's coming up. So it's you're targeting people who are already affiliated with that other thing. And you're just sort of riding its coattails on in. And then finally, social positioning. Social positioning is just the ranking of a brand with competing brands. That's all it is. Like, where are you stacking up against your competitors? Because it's important because it's where you're stacking up sort of tells other, um, lets you know sort of like where you are in the great scheme of things and how effective you are or aren't. How much time we got now? I'm done with it. 55. Hey, these are running at right around an hour. You know what? Sometimes the PowerPoint's a little dry. Like I said, these things we're talking about more about marketing. It's interesting once you start getting into the details and start like picking it apart and like how does this stuff really work? And you guys are working on your, your brand and your in your your own campaigns and like how and sometimes like if this thing is like really important to you, like if it's your business or your organization and you really, really want it to succeed, then you really kind of this is the point that you really start thinking about, you know, what do I do? How do I make this better? How do I make this as good as it can possibly be? 
And then you start competing against yourself. You're like, all right, this week I did this well. Let's see if you know I got this many likes or this many clicks, this many purchases. I wonder if I can beat it by like 10. You know, let's see if we can get 10 more purchases or 10 more whatever next week. And then you do. Maybe you don't. Or, you know, maybe you run like, you're like, all right, we're going to put three different ads out right now or three different messages. And we're going to track all three of them. And we're going to run them at different times of the day. And then we're going to watch the numbers and figure out, okay, this one's doing much better than this this one. Or these two are doing a lot better. And this one over here is not really doing anything. So then you start, you know, all right, I'm going to pull that one. And I'm going to use the money that or whatever time I was using. And I'm going to and I'm gonna move it over here. And then you start watching. And you just watch. And you watch. And you watch. And then, bam, you get, you know, success. That's when it can kind of, you know, you sort of gamify it. And it can be, um, it can be a lot of fun, I'll be honest. It can be, if you're into it. If it's a product you don't care about, then it's not going to be much fun. But if it's your thing... Um. Yeah, I think it will be. All right, I'm gonna take us out with a another song called "Farther Along" by a guy named Josh Garrels. He's up in he's up in the Pacific Northwest. At least he was last time I knew. This is a guy I ran into at a music festival years ago. Uh, it's one of the tents he played every night. <coughs> but it was interesting because he would just like. He would do a set, like the first night he did, like it was super scaled down. It was basically him and a guitar. And the second night, he like added one other instrument. And like the third night or fourth night, I don't remember, it was like three or four nights, he just kept adding, uh, I guess, to his band. And so where it started out as just a really sort of, um, um, well, it, was, it was just really stripped down and scaled back. Uh, and then, then it turned into be big. Uh, a big sound at the end. Anyway, it's a song. Uh, it's a little bit more down in the, the world of the faith tradition, um, but it's it's mostly a song about hope. So, yeah, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your what what your what's your thing. Uh, but we can all use a little little bit of um, optimism. Where did I go wrong? 
The sun of God is forever blessed. His is the king. 